Hello and welcome to the Hort Week podcast, where we talk to horticulture sector people and discuss horticulture issues. I'm Hort Week editor Matt Appleby, and today I'm with national collection holder Jonathan Shepherd, who is from a political background. And we're going to talk Chelsea, DEFRA, lobbying, flooding, hollyhocks, cosmos, Pete, lots of stuff. But so welcome, welcome, Jonathan. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's, I feel quite proud to be called a bit of a horticulturist. It's, it's, it's something that I guess I've fallen into. Well, you very much are a horticulturist now because you are exhibiting at Chelsea 2024. So tell us about that. Crikey, uh, it's, it's. I don't know whether I'm mad. M- m- maybe I am. It's uh, as you probably. You, you, I know you're aware, Matt. I did my first ever flower show in uh, actually only 2022 at Hampton Court, and I took my my cosmos there purely because, as I say, I've got I've got two national plant collections, and I thought, you know, which one could I possibly dare to take to the place that I love when I've been to Hampton Court as a punter, which was. In, in the floral marquee. So I thought, let's have a go and see if we can actually get some in flowers. So I took my, my first there in, in 2022 and, and absolutely, I guess, you know, the, the gobsmacked myself in the sense that I got a silver gilt and was told, you know, it was one mark away from a gold. Uh, did it again this year with a bit of a, a, a bigger sort of open stand, uh, which was trickier year. Uh, found the, the process just totally intri- intriguing. Something's enjoyable, something's very frustrating. So I thought, always one for a challenge. Uh, everybody knows that the Chelsea Flower Show, I guess, is is the pinnacle, certainly of you know for for, for growers. Uh, and I do classify, my, classify myself more as a an amateur grower than anything else. So I applied, uh, and lo and behold got the acceptance last week so I think I've signed myself up to a lot of work over the next few weeks and indeed months. So what are you going to be exhibiting and how does that all work kind of commercially for you? Oh crikey it's 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 not it's not my job so commercially it's 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 a ridiculous decision because it it doing flower shows uh, it costs a fair amount of money so how did it work for me in the sense of Chelsea uh, I don't know because I've never done it before but in my mind already I'm starting to think okay what what I'm taking my cosmos is going to be a slightly bigger display than was at Hampton Court so it's on a four meter long stand in in the in the great pavilion i think i've got quite a good location it's by one of the, the the big entrances hopefully it doesn't get too windy and blow all the the flowers off but in my mind i've got to start thinking about sowing them straight after christmas so sowing all my seeds and i've got to work out okay i'm quite fortunate that i've uh, invested some of my money much to my wife's displeasure in uh, a couple of polytunnels so it's all it's going to be all about you know getting them germinated making sure the frost doesn't get to them and getting enough flowers in decent condition so that come sort of towards the end of May when Chelsea is that they're, they're looking their best for me. Uh, if I judge by what I did at Hampton court, that could well conceivably be about 3000 cosmos plants growing of which maybe only 90, a hundred make it to the show. Why do you think the RHS was so keen to have you at Chelsea? Uh, well, I did, maybe, maybe they weren't. <laughs> maybe they had sort of no applicants, and it was oh crikey, we'll let Jonathan in. I don't. I honestly don't know. I I, th- I hope uh, you know. I, what I really hope is what they've seen is is a that you know I've taken Cosmos to Hampton Court, and they weren't 
too shabby. I know that Cosmos have never been represented at Chelsea as a collection, so I know they're always very keen to get uh, new types of plants exhibited there. It's always I'm always keen to show that you know you can grow decent annuals. Quite often, there's not that many annuals that are, that are taken. Uh, to flower shows and then I guess it's I, I hope they see how I grow them so I talk about growing in peat free and that I've shown that both my national collections can be grown in in peat free compost and the fact that they've won medals hopefully shows that they're decent quality uh, plants I often talk about trying to be more sustainable and I know that, that there's all always talk about sustainability some of which I question whether things are sustainable as the claims that are made. So I try and don't over over egg what I do, but I don't take any plastic pots uh, to the flower shows. The plants that I grow are actually growing in the terracotta pots that I exhibit them in. It's not like they're, they've been covered up in wood chip. And then I talk about things which is quite ironic given uh, recent flooding events. I talk about water conservation. So my to plant collections uh, solely survive and exist on things stored rainwater. I store 20,000 litres of rain over winter, and that's what these two collections then live off. So I talk about these key messages that I know the RHS are keen to promote. Well, here they've got an example of a national collection of decent-looking flowers grown in these peat-free compost and grown slightly more sustainable than probably would have been done in the past. Let's delve a bit more into that. You've got a bit too much rainwater this winter, haven't you? How have you been coping uh, with that? Yeah, it was, it's 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 a fascinating question. I guess you know I go back to it was it was I think it was the twentieth of October and it was Storm Babette and we'd had plenty of rain over the day. And actually, you know, we've had more rain in a day, if I'm honest. Uh, and we were watching Gardener's World as we always do on a Friday night, and then around about ten o'clock, we got a knock on our door with this. Uh, a guy gave him this this message, it's coming your way. I thought, okay. Uh, so we went outside and we saw sort of the neighbor's driveway uh, was looking pond-like, maybe only a couple of inches. Uh, and anyway, we decided to move a few things in the house, but, you know, didn't do too much. Anyway, more and more water started coming across the road. So by one o'clock, sort of we're in a half panic and I suddenly have this idea, oh my God, all my petrol tools, uh, which I still have to have because the plot's so big, uh, are on the floor. I better take them off the ground in all my various outbuildings. And the short story is by uh, 4.30 in in the morning, uh, we heard the upstairs toilet start bubbling, which I think was a sign that all the drains had been overloaded. Uh, And we literally packed the car and kind of evacuated. And so there I was, again, much to my wife's displeasure, filling the car with my precious seeds for, for the national plant collection. And we drove off to our mother-in-law and, and, and we came back at nine o'clock when it was light the next day and saw five bungalows on the road that were flooded out to the window just because their driveways go down towards it. Uh, and our plot, I'd, I'd estimate that our plot, our house was fine, so our house hasn't been flooded, but I'd estimate the plot probably had about a million litres of river water on it and and at the time that we left at 4 30 in the morning i couldn't close the gates just because of the force of the water so there's there's some damage and it's going to take some time for the plot to recover 
So do you think you'll be ready in time for Chelsea 2024? I, I think it's it's about sort of your personality and, and how you, you deal with, I guess, things that are, are thrown at you. So for, for me, you know, I always look at it, you know, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. And that, in a way, is a good thing, is that I've got to show that in spite of flooding, and it's very interesting, I think, that, that, that part of the flower show is actually focusing on flooding and, and resilience this year. Well, what better story for the Chelsea Flower Show or, or indeed the RHS to have of an amateur go that's actually had its plot flooded out and is being quite resilient, not just the plants being resilient. And, and to be fair, the Cosmos were fairly resilient, the ones that were in the ground. I still had flowering Cosmos after these floods. Uh, but what better story to say that a grower that's been flooded out can come back, can come to Chelsea and show award-winning flowers. Right, well, it is a big theme, this resilient plant thing for Chelsea 2024. But let's go back a bit. You're obviously not originally a grower. So what is your background, Jonathan? I, uh, much to you'll probably have your audience will start booing. Uh, I'm what's known, and I still do bits of it. It's not even like I've retired or left it. I am what you would call a lobbyist. So it has many different names. It could be government relations person, corporate affairs, public affairs. I My, my, my work history is working in various organisations ranging from, uh, this is way back, Royal Mail to Boots to the Woodland Trust to being Director of Corporate Affairs at Ladbrokes Coral, working for those organisations, essentially working in the political arena to either guard against threats that come from government because all legislation has unintended consequences or indeed spotting opportunities. So to push government into perhaps trying to get them to do things that they may not think of doing. So I am one of those nasty lobbyists uh, that people imagine take decisions in smoke-filled rooms, which isn't the case. Because actually, I'm very proud of the the work that some lobbyists do, because it's it's actually keeping government in check and ensuring that perhaps some decisions that they take that can be quite ludicrous and ridiculous because they haven't got all the information perhaps gets amended or changed or influenced. Well, some tricky areas there, you know, betting and Royal Mail. So, uh... <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, I've, 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 I mean, I look back and, and so Royal Mail was probably my first sort of big organisation that I worked for. And I was, it was in my 20s and I was there when we were having to close because we were within the public sector. So it was, you know, it wasn't particularly a commercial decision because we were essentially still run by the Department of Trade and Industry. We we're having to close 3,000 post offices. I think at the time that's more branches or outlets than Tesco had in total. It was huge issues. I was there when they took the ridiculous decision to change the name to Consignia. The only place that was ever seen outside one corporate head office was at the party conferences. And that was the area that I had to deal with. I essentially managed their party conference uh, exhibits. And there was the big name of Consignia. We were having to try and justify it to members of parliament. And then the next year, explain why it was ridiculous and actually went back to Royal Mail Group. At, At Ladbrokes Coral, we had a huge issue. While I was there, of uh, some of your listeners will be aware of fixed odds betting terminals, FOBTs, and how the government uh, essentially were threatening to reduce the stake that people could bet, and they reduced that stake from £100 to £2. So I've seen organisations you know, have to take real quick decisions 
uh, probably links to the peak debate, real big decisions that impact the bottom line of these companies. So what do you think the horticulture industry should be lobbying on? Oh, crikey. It depends what you mean by the horticulture industry, because I think there's there's so many various strands. What what a, a massive horticultural organisation may want may very well differ from the biggest charity in the sector may want. So I think, you know, the RHS and the HTA won't always and shouldn't always have sort of the same the same views. If you if you are a commercial entity that makes all its money out of selling peat, you're going to want to continue selling peat. If you're an environmental charity, and I include those kind of organisations in, now in the horticulture sector, your view is going to be very different. So, so on some of these issues, there's going to be big debate. If I was the industry, I'd be gearing up already uh, for the next election. So what are you going to be wanting from whoever forms the next government? What are your five asks? Now, it'd be a bit arrogant of me to say, these are my five asks, because my five asks might be very different from a different kind of grower. But I think they need to get organised and they need to start getting out there. And they also need to start influencing more. I remember when I worked in Parliament, and this is a while ago, so things have probably changed. We hardly ever got communicated to in a member of Parliament's office by people from horticulture. And they always say that all politics is local. Now, I know that started to change. So... If I were the HTA, I'd be advising all my members to contact their local MP and start explaining all about you know, the value that's in the industry. So the little tricks like that that I know are starting to happen have been happening for a while. But I guess historically they didn't happen, whereas they had been happening for, for ages within other sectors. Organisations do this thing consistently so that come the time that they want something from a member of parliament or indeed government, it's not a cold call. How good a job do you think the horticulture industry is doing at the moment in getting to politicians? I think, I feel, look, from my, from my perspective, and some of it's from the outside, some of it's still from contacts I have inside Parliament, I think there's, there, there has been an improvement. And you can, you can certainly see that with the fact that, look, there's been the recent Lord's report into horticulture. That's fantastic news. I think what has to happen, though, it has, there has to be a realisation, sometimes this happens in other sectors, that once you've had a big piece of work, right, we're there, we've, we, we've done. But politics doesn't work like that. As, as, as we know, uh, the personnel in politics change very quickly. So I know I've done massive reports within different sectors. The Secretary of State changes, the special advisors change, or indeed governments change. You've got a new minister or whatever. You literally then have to start again explaining the same arguments. So... Whilst there's been success, as I say, like the, the, the Lord's report, it's following through on that and ensuring that you don't let government off the hook. What I'd like to see is for things such as you know, the RHS, we know they've got 600,000 members. Are they keen, for example, to use those members to advocate for the things that they want? We know that they have more members than the main political parties have members. That's very powerful. I know for a fact that when I worked at the Woodland Trust, the membership were used in campaigns to try and put pressure on government or indeed backbench MPs. So what would be your asks then? Oh, what would I like? Oh, crikey. Mm. Uh, I think uh, I think there needs to be certainty on Pete. Uh, 
I think actually the uncertainty is what causes people more problems than a decision. Just let the industry know which way this is going to go, this, this is going to go. And the fact that it had been sort of flagged up that it might be in the Queen's speech and then it wasn't just adds to uncertainty. There's so many things that I would like to sort of advocate in terms of horticulture. I'd like more a more joined-up approach, but I don't think you criticise government for the fact that it isn't joined up. That's always been the case. So it's actually the sector that needs to join the different strands of government up together. So one example of that is we've got yet another Secretary of State, So, but for how long he'll be in position, we don't know, because there could be an election. But this guy has come from the Department of Health. Well, what an opportunity to all those people who are advocating quite rightly about the value of horticulture to mental, indeed physical health. If anybody should know anything about that, it should be the Secretary of State for Health that can make some of those links himself from his previous role, and perhaps there are opportunities to move on from just little trials about it to actually get something put in place across the country. This is Steve Barclay, but he's not going to be able to do much, is he, in less than a year until an election? Well, but but my view is always whenever there's change and there's turmoil, that's when there are opportunities. So let's be clear, you know, he might only be in there till the election. Well, that's an opportunity for him to have to show this is why I'm a good Secretary of State and this is why I deserve to stay in power, whether that happens or not, and it's looking very unlikely. But you don't just go and influence the Secretary of State. You're engaging, you're engaging with Her Majesty's opposition. And now we, lots of people have spoken about how they're not saying very much, and of course they're not saying very much because, quite frankly, they're doing an amazing job keeping silent and let the government almost implode from, from one disaster to another. But that doesn't mean that you're not engaging with them so that hopefully, if they do form the next government, you've already got a foot in the door to implement what you want. Now, you mentioned Pete. How do you go about growing peat-free? What do you use and what's the, what the pitfalls? I always give the example. I'll do, I'll do talks about my collection to, to people. And if I had uh, a pound for everybody that said, all peat-free is rubbish, I'd be quite a wealthy man. And the analogy I always use is peat-free isn't telling you what you're getting. It's telling you what you're not getting. And I say it's a bit like, for example, if you're a big carnivore and you always eat a steak dinner and then you're told you're getting steak free and one person gets a stick of celery and one person gets fish and chips and the fish and chips guy thinks this is wonderful this steak free meal is amazing and the person that gets the celery thinks well this is rubbish steak free is rubbish because what it's telling you is what you're not getting and there's no consistency in what you're not getting uh, how do I manage I, I'm very open I use on the whole I'll use uh, Melcourt for my plants uh, my watering regime is wholly different in the sense that, you know, I'm fortunate because I'm very much small scale, uh, I say small scale, 3,000 uh, plants doesn't seem that small scale when it's red hot in, in June, uh, but they get watered by hand. But the watering is very different. I have to water less, but far more regularly because it absolutely has different water holding properties. I've learned from my own misfortune that, for example, if I leave a, ba leave a bag of peat-free compost out in the rain, all the proprietary feed seems to dissipate straight away, and then you wonder why you've got kind of stunted plants. Now, that's going to be interesting, given uh, the flooding that we talked about, where I suspect uh, I've lost about probably 50 bags of various compost. I've had water sort of pass straight through it, so I suspect there'll be 
no feed whatsoever in that, and I'll have to manage that very differently. So I, I as you know, I sort of I grow cosmos and hollyhocks, and for the things I grow, it absolutely seems to work. The 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 differences uh, that I've had to adapt to is how I water them. Uh, so all my plants now stand on uh, tomato grow bag trays so that I water them less but more often and I ensure that any sort of run through which I try and keep to a bare minimum is then able to be sort of essentially re reused by the plant because the, 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 the tiny millimetres of water that comes through can then get essentially sucked back up. So the, it's the watering regime that, that's been the key for me. Uh, and as I say that, I, you know, people at Hampton Court uh, were saying, you know, how have you got your cosmos so big? And it's like, well, first of all, some cosmos grow massive cultivars, but it shows that, that none of them have ever been in the ground, that you can do this successfully with peat-free compost. No, no, indeed. So what, what are your plans, Jonathan? Are you, are you going to be a, a grower? Are you going to expand the growing business? Are you going to become, you know, a big growing business? Are you going to get back into lobbying? What, what are you going to do? <laughs> I, I I honestly don't know. That's a great question, Matt. It's 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 a hobby which is becoming slightly more time uh, consuming than I ever thought it would. Maybe there are opportunities. I don't know. Maybe when you you hear that the, that the RHS and people are saying that we need more British growers, given what's happening, uh, maybe there is an opportunity for for a little business here. At the same time, I'm still fascinated and keen that that horticulture certainly in the political world, is very much not forgotten. And, and behind the scenes, I'm trying to ensure that that doesn't happen. Uh, I, I love sort of working with uh, people at Plant Heritage and meeting other national collection holders. Uh, maybe there's time for another national collection here. Who knows? Maybe it needs to be uh, a, a new flood-resilient uh, planting uh, here in, in Lincolnshire. There's, so there's various things that I'm really keen on doing. And I don't rule anything out because you just never know what's around the corner. I wouldn't have thought five years ago that I'd be talking to you about two national collections and going to the Chelsea Flower Show. What, what are the plants you're interested in? Oh, I just the, the problem with asking that is I'm like a kid in a sweet shop. I know some national collection holders that have been solely focused on one type of plant uh, their whole life. And I find that amazing because they really are uh, heroes, experts in that type of plant. So, I mean, I, I love ranunculus and I've, uh, I'd have i love to have a national collection of those because I think that would probably sit quite well with the two collections I've got. I've got, you know, hollyhocks, again, a non-native, uh, but it's been here for 500 years that pollinators love and even the doubles, bees sleep in them and, and birds love the seeds and all the rest of it. Cosmos is an annual, again, another non-native. So maybe something like a ranunculus that isn't particularly that helpful to any pollinators, pollinators at all, uh, but it just looks really nice. Do you think annuals get the prominence they deserve within the shows? Uh, personally, probably not, because I, again, have this is no disrespect to perennials and everything i i think it's in terms of endeavor it is harder and given the fact that that i, I grow hollyhocks which are now reasonably known as a short-lived perennial i think it's harder to take an annual to a show just because you are every year starting totally from scratch and you don't know what's going to happen whereas if i was taking uh, something that i could uh, have grown 5 6 years ago and had been tending it obviously there's a huge amount of work in that but you have more certainty 
as to what you know you're going to take and therefore you know how big your display is going to be. I remember the first year I did Hampton Court and I paid for this beautiful backdrop of the of a mass planting of my cosmos and it was, co it was covered by the actual cosmos plants that I took. And that's because that year it was a bit hotter and a bit wetter and all the rest of it and they grew amazingly tall. And you just don't know that. So I think, I think I th I'd like to see more angles, but I absolutely appreciate that, you know, it's, it's that much more work. I know Dar Darren Everest is taking sweet peas uh, to, to, to Chelsea. Now, what an endeavour to get sweet peas from, cut sweet peas from the Isle of Wight and having to go back to the Isle of Wight to refresh the stand. Amazing work. Now, well, we've talked about a few different types of annuals and uh, we're getting towards the end now. And we, at Hot Week podcast, we always talk about our favourite plant. So, You've got Cosmos, we've got Hollyhocks. Um, are they going to be your favourite plant or what is your favourite plant? Uh, I, that's so unfair. It's a bit like when someone <laughs> says, choose your favourite Cosmos. My view has always been in a garden that every plant has its time to shine. For some plants, it can be for a month. So dahlias can look amazing. And I love dahlias. For some plants, they are king of the castle or queen of the plot for literally five minutes where... They are almost look perfect and in the right light, they're the best thing in the garden. And then they fade and something else takes over. So in terms of I could give you in terms of cosmos, I think pink mosaic is, is perhaps one of my favorites because it's a new one in terms of uh, plants. Uh, I, I couldn't choose between hollyhocks and, and indeed cosmos because I couldn't imagine not growing either of them. Excellent. That's a great way to finish. Well, it's been great talking to Jonathan Shepherd, National Collection Holder and future Chelsea exhibitor. And I'm Matt Appleby, Hawk Week editor. This has been the Hawk Week podcast. Make sure you never miss a Hawk Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Hawk Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And once again, thanks to Jonathan and see you next time.